welcome back to the What The Folk Happened This Week podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today is a bit of a new setup. It's a new season, new setup. Essentially, we've had a few guests on before. We've discussed the week in football. Today, we've got a couple of fans on. A couple of people are going to discuss football with me today as well. Um, of course, all Sunderland fans, so there will be 10 minutes worth of Sunderland. But it's going to be about all football, and we'll discuss as much as we can about the first week of the season beginning. But first and foremost, how are you, Jack? Introduce yourself. I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, I'm Jack. I'm 26, Sunderland supporter from Portney Spring, in, uh, just outside of Sunderland. Um, I'm a journalism graduate a few years back. I love talking all sports. So obviously Sunderland would be uh, would be the key thing to talk about, but we'll, uh, I'm interested to talk about any football. I'll give me an opinion on anything, to be fair, so throw it out there and you'll get something from me. <laughs> that, that's always my problem, is that I've got an opinion on too much stuff. So, but I know that's it, <laughs> Ian, um, I think there's a few people I know who you are, where you're from, that Twitter title might give it away, mate. But for those who haven't heard of Arbroath Mackham, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hi, uh, David Ian, uh, and uh, yeah, I live in uh, Arbroath, um, you know, Sunderland, uh, they're born, um, but lived up here a, a long, long, you know, time, hence the, the accent and such like, but, you know, love, uh, you know, love love the lads, football, um, there for myself, I'm, I'm a mental health um, nurse, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's my line of things, so, I'm just going to fire it out there and, you know, see what happens. Yeah. And we're going to be changing some guests up through the weeks as well. We've got a couple of lads that have, have volunteered, but I think we're going to be seeing all of us. As we've <laughs> all discussed in the first 10 minutes, we are Sunderland fans, so we're going to have a quick 10-minute rundown on Sunderland um, because I think it would be naive not to. So I'll obviously come to you first, Ian, but what did you make of the game on, on Saturday against Bristol Rovers? Um, oh, typical... You know, Sunderland, I think, really, you know, first league, league their game. I think we were all quite, I think, you know, from what I could gather from other sort of fans, we were all fairly sort of confident going in. So a great win um, mid, midday week there, you know, lots of goals. Rovers, you know, record isn't, isn't really good, you know, and I thought, yeah, you know, let's get the season fired, you know, fire off and really sort of go for it. Uh, and yeah, two minutes in, ourselves in the foot, and uh, yeah, I think we scraped the point, and yeah, it was fair enough, really, wasn't it? But you know, first, yeah. you know, real game in, yeah, six months or so, and it felt like we'd never been away the way the performance came in. I think uh, I don't know what you thought, Jack, but um, why was Lee Burge trying to pull down that striker's pants in the first two minutes? What was that all about? <laughs> I don't know. I think he had a rush of blood behead. He thought it was like uh, one of the, he thought it was Allison or uh, Edison, one of the one of the better quality keepers in the in, in the English game. I just think he was too relaxed. He was too cautious within the first few minutes, and you're often most vulnerable at that time, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? Your strikers are quick, fresh out the blocks, and yeah, it was a bit of a a bit of a, a bit of a mix up there, and it's, it's cost us in the end because really, I think particularly in second half, we had enough chances to, to potentially win the game. But if you give the opposition a one goal lead after a few minutes, it's always going to be hard, whatever level you're at, really. It felt very much like a, and it sounds a bit daft, but it felt like a Jack Ross performance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, I just think towards it took us it took us too long to get going. I thought I don't know what, what what you two thought, but I thought you know after 60, 60, 70 minutes we start to look like a team. But why did it take us so long to start? You know, really playing with a bit of intensity, a bit of you know pressing and urgency. For the last twenty minutes, yeah, we're all over them. But if we play like that, you know, for fifty minutes or an hour or however long in the game, you're probably going to win the game. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. It's it just, just, I, I like it's, I think, you know, plenty of possession and particularly we had them camped in the, we were, we were unlucky as well, to be fair. I mean, Max Power hits the post on another day that goes in. I think they had one or two scrambles, you know, that played off the line, you know. On another day, one of those drop and we nick it, we nick it to one and we sat here saying, yeah, good win, good start of the season. It just didn't work out that way, did it? Yeah, and I think one thing that worries me most as a Sunderland fan is is the up-and-coming fixtures, Ian. Um mm-hmm. I'm going to have to ask this question, but I'm going to have to abstain from my own opinion because I think it's 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 fair to say I'm probably his only fan at the moment with George Dobson. But um, was George Dobson's performance as bad as Twitter made you believe, or is Twitter not the best barometer? Um, to be honest, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, he's he's a young lad. He he works hard. I th- I think sometimes. 
I think I think with that, you know, mid, midfield two, Power and, you know, Dobson are too similar. So so neither neither really shine out. Um I think, you know, it is, it is maybe looking power's gonna play a bit more forward. Yeah, it seems so, doesn't um, it? So uh, I think you know, I think I think with that, then you know, there's more of a role for for sort of Dobson to actually, you know, shine as it were. But his role is not to shine either. So yeah. I don't think I don't think he's ever going to stand out. Um, but you know, he's not he's not a bad player. But um, you know, he's young. He's isn't he? out now anyway. So I mean, I I think a lot of people know that my my, my Dobson loving is a bit of a. It is a bit of a joke. Um, it's not. I don't seriously think he's the best thing since sliced bread. I'm aware he's a, he's a young player that a lot of prove and, and very much improvement is, is needed from him. But one of the big things that I took from it, and I'm, I'm more than prepared to be wrong, and I'm, I'm aware that this is recorded, um, but I'll, I'll ask your opinion on this, Jack. But um, Scowen, I, I haven't really seen anything from Scowen that makes me go he's going to be the game changer. To me, he looks much of a muchness, but he put in three corners against Aston Villa. That suddenly has made him like a prime Zinedine Zidane, it seems, according to Twitter. Um, <laughs> am I being too harsh with that, or do you think he's shown more than, than just that game? I think he's, it's one of those situations whereby a player does seem to get better the less he plays, you know what I mean, and suddenly looks more of an attractive option. Yeah. Um, me, personally, I, I think I probably wouldn't start going, nothing against you, Graham, but I just think, I think personally, from what I've seen with Dobson, I think he, he looks like one of those players that, you know, he doesn't quite know how to control his arms and legs sometimes, you know what I mean? And, like, he's got one of them funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I mean, that was a simple ball on, but... Uh, the way he got the red card, if, if he'd actually just, I mean, it's, it's easy for us to say Sati, you know what I mean? We've never played the game, but if he just looked up, there was actually, we had an overload on the left-hand side. Yeah. And if he just looked up, in, what, I mean, but then he played the simple ball and it was a bad ball and then he lunges in and gets the red card. It was like a, a double error, you know what I mean? It was like a mistake on top of a mistake. Um, but yeah, I think it's a situation whereby you cling to hope and because Scorn hasn't played much, suddenly, like you say, you becomes not quite Zindane Zidane, but I get the point you're making, you know what I mean? It gets better the less he plays. But yeah, I think I think I'd still have my head of um, Dobson in the pecking order personally. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm in a again like I sort of stayed at the start. I think I'm in the minority with a being a fan of Dobson, and I understand it at the same time. I just think you know he's a young lad with a a little bit of growing to do just yet. But um, the red card, I think I don't think it was, but I think most people didn't really care because they don't mind him being suspended, and you know it is what it is. I suppose we're not gonna. We're certainly not going to crumble with George Dobson suspended, not in the form he's in, I guess. But one of the, the big talking points for me was um, Bailey Wright's performance got a little bit overshadowed by how much everyone seemed to kind of centre around Dobson. I thought Bailey Wright was really suspect on on Saturday and he should have seen the red. I think the referee wanted to send him off. But I, I thought that you, Jack, was that a bit of a worrying performance from Bailey Wright? Yeah, he'll have better games, I think. Again, you know, we had, we, we had a, a high expectation of him, didn't we? Because, of, you know, how, how well at times he played last season. And yeah, I thought he was a little bit... I don't know whether it's maybe match sharpness with him, you know, I, I think maybe. Bit, but maybe isn't isn't quite... Because, I mean, people talk about fitness and match fitness, and I think those are two maybe slightly different things. Like a, a professional footballer will always be fit, whether or not he's match fit and sharp, as in if you'd had like 10, 15, a run of games, do you know what I mean? Maybe he was just lacking a little bit of that. It wasn't his best performance. I certainly think he will play better for us this season, yeah. What do you think about uh, the performance of the team, I suppose? I'm concentrating on Bailey right there. And one, at one point, I'm saying we need to give Dobson a bit of time. On the other side, I'm saying Bailey Wright was rubbish after a first performance in about seven months. Um, so maybe maybe that's why I don't play or coach football. But um, I suppose coming back to you, Ian, what did you make of like other individual performances? Is there anyone that stood out to you? Um... Uh, Based on Maguire, really. Maguire, you know, yeah. 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 Um, you know, but really, no. <laughs> I think it was all fairly average. Um, you know, you know, second half we did, you know, ramp it up, and I think, you know, I'd I'd like to think that's the kind of level that we can, you know, reach and and sort of sustain as well. You know, you know, sort of Parkinson talks a lot about um, you know, fitness and uh, 
you know, really bringing that those saw levels, of the, you know, to to the game. Um, so uh, yeah, I think you know, game games. That's it. You know, actually get a settled side. You know, there there are lots of lots of new you know signings coming in. You know, will they feature? You know, there's lots of things to go on, and I and actually I do feel that the squad's probably going to change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a, have a feeling one or two will sort of leave as well. So, yeah, lots of, lots of un, unknowns yeah, really. There's a, a long time to go, isn't it? If you go down to Oxford next week and you win against Oxford and then get something out of the Peterborough game, it becomes a vastly different beast this game, doesn't it? It suddenly becomes, yeah. as yeah. it does sometimes with something, a, a distant memory. But um, outside of, I've, I've been in the Highlands this weekend, as I think a few people might have noticed, and uh, I was had the luxury of a hot tub to cool down after the uh, <laughs> the, the rubbish Sunderland performance, and I actually put the, the Leeds game on. Now, there was three, obviously, promoted teams this year moving away from Sunderland. We've got Westbourne, we've got Fulham, we've got Leeds. Leeds have obviously been away for absolutely ages. West Brom and Fulham both bounce up and down. Um, it was actually a quite good start to the, the brand new Premier League season. I actually really enjoyed the games that I did watch. Um, there's probably a lot of talking points, but the first one I'll probably go to is the newly promoted sides. Um, two sides just looked like, again, they're going to struggle. Uh, then Leeds on the flip side looked like, I mean, they really pushed, really, really pushed Liverpool. But I'll, I'll ask you, Jack, I mean, what did you make of the performances of the promoted sides on Saturday? Much the same, really. I think Leeds, I think obviously they've been waiting what is it, 16 years for them to come back to the Premier League. I think it was such a big occasion for them. And I think it was almost, in a way, a little bit like a free hit against Liverpool. I know, you know, every Premier League game is valuable, but realistically, Leeds' season isn't going to be determined by what they do at Anfield. It's going to be determined by the, the games around them. And I think they probably went there first day and thought, yeah, let's have a go. What have we got to lose? If we'll have a good go and get beat 4 or 5 nil or whatever, you know, at least we've had a crack at it. And I think they've really shocked Liverpool. I think Liverpool were just expecting somewhat a little bit arrogant, you know, the bit of complacency setting, particularly the second Leeds goal with Van Dyke. I think it was the second Leeds goal that um, was a Bamford flicked in when Bamford. Van Dyke, I mean, that was so so complacent, so so lazy and, and, and maybe a little bit of overconfidence on Liverpool's part. And really, they were a bit, I thought Liverpool were fortunate. I thought Leeds deserved something from the game. But I think Leeds obviously went and thought, yeah, let's have a free hit at it. Whereas the other two, West Brom and Fulham were both at home against teams that weren't the champions. So I think there was a little bit more expectation on them. But both West Brom and Fulham looked like they are going to struggle. But I think it was 10 goals conceded in all three of them, wasn't there? So... They look a bit shaky at the back, but yeah, I certainly thought Leeds did the best of the three. What do you think, Ian? I think, um, well, funnily enough, I was thinking about this and, and actually more from a, from that sort of financial side of things, where you know, you know, you know, neither, neither West Brom or, or sort of Fulham have really spent much money as of yet. Um, I would hope sort of Fulham learned the lesson last time and not spend you know stupid amounts of money um whereas actually leads have spent money and and uh you know will they just have that that edge edge you know their sort of quality wise um i think i think what we might be seeing is actually teams just being you know smart you know yeah. you know we don't know what's going to happen you know you know football finances really are, are all over the shop and uh you know, you know, I think there's, yeah, you know, you know, it's great to be back, but I do wonder if, you know, you know, especially sort of West Brom are just thinking that we're not, you know, we're not going to, you know, go out and strengthen madly. We'll just, you know, see where we are. And um, They've done that a lot, haven't they, West Brom, when they've come up? They've done a lot of the kind of not spending, I mean, I know they were there for quite a while, but I remember back when, would sort of come up with us when they had the likes of Jason Kumas, they wouldn't really spend that much money to make sure that if they came down, they'd still be able to mount a promotion chase, but then often mm-hmm. they'll come straight yeah. back down and mm-hmm. it, it becomes a bit pointless after a while. But um, the big the big thing for me, I'm a Sunderland fan and I was also brought up with a dad that li- lived through the 70s and the 80s, so I was always told to dislike Leeds, dirty Leeds, just the way it was. Um <laughs> But I actually find with Leeds as players, I wanted to watch them on Saturday, not just because it was Leeds, but they've got quite likable players. They've got that that Alioski who does the 
like an Alioski cow, Johnny Cam or something like that with Leeds. And they seem to have like a likable play, a likable manager, likable players and things like that. And people seem to actually buy into the romanticism of Leeds being back. I, I throw this one to you, Jack, but is Leeds being back a good thing or is that kind of a difficult thing to admit being a non-Leeds fan? Well, I think geographically it's it's good for the taking a slightly different angle. It's good for the north because when you think yeah. about it, there's not there's not a lot of northern teams in the Premier League. And you think of ourselves, unfortunately, and you know, Hull have gone down recently in our league. Um, you know, used to have the Sheffields and all one Sheffield United to come back up, but you know, and you used to have the likes of Bolton when you go across the north as Bolton Wigan. It's not that many northern teams anymore. So I think it's good for you know to have a northern have a balance of of teams like that. And I always think you want the bigger teams back in the Premier League. You know, I'm a bit I'm a bit like that, you know, a little bit, you know, I think Sunderland should be up there. Obviously, we all want Sunderland to be up there and Leeds and everything. I think it makes for a better Premier League when you've got bigger bigger crowds, bigger away following, you know, and that's the way I look at it. So I think it is a good thing. But I know what you mean about Leeds, that over the years they have made it very hard for them to be liked uh, and some of the fans' behaviour at times and one or two other things. But yeah, I, I, I don't think they've really got that. It's, it's almost like a new Leeds, isn't it? You know, like a, a new, new rebrand yeah. of the same team. Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I'm watching through the, the team, I mean, my my girlfriend's dad's a, a Leeds fan, so I kind of, he's Leeds, he's Leeds daft. And you look, but you look at the players, and, you know, I, I watched them on Saturday, and I've got to be honest and say, and it's no offence to, to teams like Bournemouth, and, and you get the places on merit, but it was a bit more exciting watching Leeds versus Liverpool rather than Liverpool versus Bournemouth, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no offence to Bournemouth fans if you're listening, all 10 of them, but like that, that's... That, that's my thoughts and that's my opinions yeah, on it. I, I would agree, yeah. Um, one team I was really impressed with, which seems weird as someone who's now 34 years of age saying I was surprised that Arsenal were good, but but they were. They looked a little bit different and obviously they've got the FA Cup win from last year and the past few times I've watched them under Arteta, I've been really, really impressed. I'm starting to think, are Arsenal coming back to where Arsenal could, like, should, could and should be i.e. top four. Do you do you think there could be a bit of a surprise package this season, Ian? Um, you know what, Arsenal are... You look at Arsenal's squad and there's, let's say, two or three, you know, real sort of top, you know, you know good, good sort of quality players. Um, and then, and, and then there's a lot of players who they've signed for, you know, 30 million... You know that sort of bracket who who are who are decent but aren't quite there. Yeah, you know they're not world class. Like Aubameyang was like a bit of a game no, changer, no. but the rest are all yeah good yeah. Premier League players. Yeah, they? good solid mean, players. Yeah. yeah, but but you know you know you have to wonder if if the manager and the the coaching staff are are sort of you know if they are good enough if the players actually. Um, they sort of believe in them, then then you get more from them, and you know you know Arsenal could well come back if if that that sort of spirit's good because the players they will work better, you know they will work harder. So <laughs> could be. I mean, you know he uh, he seems to really galvanise. He does, doesn't the, the he? In quite a short a short sort of time, so. That's what I thought. I feel like he's he's galvanised the club. The only thing with with Mikel Arteta is whenever I, I look at him, I always wonder how many lives he saved by actually getting coronavirus. Because I feel like the matches wouldn't have been called off if he didn't get coronavirus back <laughs> in the day. And I often think is 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 he the, is he the thank for so many lives being saved? I guess, but unfortunately, uh, too many lost at the same time. But um, with with Arsenal, Jack, I don't know what it was, but when I seen Aubameyang, and I think it was a start, he scored like thirty seven in his last fifty games or something. And I mean, Arsenal are not a, they're not even a top seven team on paper anymore. Well, on paper they kind of I suppose are, but I think they finished ninth, tenth last season or something like that, which is so far below what Arsenal should have. But I know that when he played Fulham, and I know on one side we're saying Fulham look like they're going to struggle but they put them away without really breaking sweat. And that's what made me think, you know, have they got something with a striker like Aubameyang, a coach that seems to know what he's doing. They've already just won their FA Cup. There's a bit of momentum building there with Arsenal. Is, is maybe old Arsenal coming back? Is there a chance for them this season? Or? 
I think they've made a few key signings. I think you know they've they've got they've got a defender at the back. Is it Gabriel? I think he's called. I think I, I like the look of him. I think they've settled. They've got a settled keeper. They seem to know which because there was a bit of interchange in last season, wasn't there, with the goalkeeper? Yeah. I think that doesn't help. Never helps when you know which you know when you don't know which goalkeeper and which. You know, they've kind of sorted the spine of the team. Um, I think a lot of, if you look at the season, they didn't actually lose a lot of games last year. They had a hell of a lot of draws. And I think, I think you know, with, with the momentum, like you say, at the minute, you know, they look like they've got plenty more goals in the team than settled at the back. So I think they should win a lot of those games that they drew. I think if the target is top four, you know, I think they should be looking at, I think, and possibly, possibly getting into that kind of bracket. I don't know, maybe, you know, Man United and Chelsea, you know, they were made up the top four. Until you've got Man City and Liverpool on their own, really. But then after that, there could be a bit of a mix, really, for, for that. You know, there's going to be a few teams up there. I think that'll help them in terms of the recruitment if they want to get to that next level, back to the Wenger on re days, you know, where they are winning. Champions League's a big thing. The big players want to play in the Champions League. So Arsenal, yeah. really, if they are to progress, they need to be in the Champions League in terms of bringing the top, top players that's one thing that worry, worries as if what would worry me if I was an Arsenal fan with Aubameyang. They've probably got the most lethal Premier League striker in terms of goals, but if they're not in the Champions League and get his head turned a little bit, you know what I mean? He might start thinking, I want to be off, you know what I mean? And that would be a big loss for them. So I think, that, but it's definitely progress for them. You know, I think we'll put them half at some, some stages last season. So yeah, yeah I think we're going in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely feels like, I mean, obviously Emery was a, a good manager before he went to Arsenal. That for some reason didn't work. Arteta feels like an Arsenal manager. And I know that's a ridiculous comment to make because I hate comments like the West Ham way and stuff like that. That <laughs> kind of comment drives me crazy. But um, Arteta just looks like the kind of manager that suits Arsenal. He's young, he's progressive. He's, you can tell he's thoughtful and he's thorough. And I quite like that about him because I think that's Arsenal's identity. And I think as Sunderland fans, one thing we probably know massively is that how important identity is. Um I don't want to talk about this too much, but I do want to bring it up because I was watching it on Match of the Day, so I've only seen the highlights, not the full game. But the Newcastle-West Ham game, it was a game that filled me with rage because I'm a Sunderland fan. <laughs> and I'm definitely not a David Moyes fan. So it was like choosing your enemy, basically. Like, which one do you <laughs> hate more? Um, but I found myself annoyingly looking at Calvin, uh, sorry, Calvin Wilson and, and thinking he looked all right. Please tell me I'm wrong in that assessment and that I've something's affected my brain. But what do you what did you think of uh, Saturday's game between West Ham and, and the team that are near us? Ian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh yeah, yeah, you really can't uh think yeah, who you know, what what was the best, you know, their sort of result from that one. <laughs> that's it, that says everything about how, how David Moyes is held in regard at Sunderland. You've managed to be as hated as much as Newcastle because of how bad you were in one season. So it's if you yeah. are listening, David, I'm sure you're a nice bloke and all that, but that's that takes some doing that, does it? Really, really does take some doing. So Newcastle looked looked all right, you know? And that and that's awful to see, really, isn't it? But disgusting. You know, you know yeah. they're you know, they're solid enough. One thing I suppose I will bring up, which is probably something that is more in line with what we see. Um, and I'll put this to you, Jack. Uh, Newcastle have been incredibly hard done by over the past few months um, with with all of the takeover <laughs> and, and that they, they, they thoroughly deserve to have. And I think we will have our own opinion on it. But... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't really look like they had too much to worry about on Saturday. I mean, look like they've got a, a relatively decent team. Is, is Mike Ashley ruining Newcastle, or is it just a bit? They're just whinging too much. I mean, sorry to compare the two at the minute, given our horrible state in kind of League One. But what we would do for a Mike Ashley, I know they don't like him. They don't like his ambition or his lack of ambition, shall we say, the lack of resources that he spends. But what we what we, what we would give for a, a an owner that has us mid table in the Premier League operating a profit every year and spending twenty or twenty million or whatever it was on a centre forward. I think our football <laughs> club's valued at thirty five million, isn't it? And there's Newcastle about spending twenty million on the centre forward. I hate I hate to bring it up because I hate them as much as you two probably will, but I must admit I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the relegation zone this season. No, I don't, no. don't think I actually don't think we'll stand well. I think 
don't go on Saturday and I think I don't give David Moyes very long before he goes I think because he's insipid football he's a negative personality and I don't think he, the West Ham fans really liked him anyway when he was appointed the second time so I don't think he'd be there long but Newcastle got the recruitment right I thought Jeff Hendrick was a good signing I thought on a free transfer it was a decent deal him uh, Wilson will get them probably 10 to 15 goals a season and I look at them and I think they're not great they're not a brilliant team but there's certainly three worst teams in them in the Premier League but I think Going back to the ownership issue, I think Newcastle fans are necessarily putting the fact they're going to spend money and success together. And I don't always think spending money necessarily guarantees your success, you know, because you can throw money at it and it doesn't always mean that you're going to go out and eat that you want. You know, they think spend £100, £200 million pounds is going to get them into Europe or win them a trophy that they've been after for God knows how many years. When That doesn't always necessarily mean that is the case. Sometimes the better deals are the ones that are a little bit more shrewd, a little bit cheaper rather than just going out spending. But giving you an example, Joe Linton, £40 million. You know what I mean? They went out and spent big on Joe Linton, £40 million. He's one of the worst centre-forwards I've ever seen and I've watched Josie out there in the Premier League. So do you know what I mean? <laughs> the best thing I, the thing I always think the other day is if you went into lockdown... Um, and didn't have a TV and you, you haven't been outside your home and you've been like self-isolating for like pretty much since lockdown began and, and lockdown started and you just got your TV back for much of the day and then you seen Jeff Hendricks score, you'd be thinking that Mbappe looks a little bit different to what you expected, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, just a bit. <laughs> and then you'd have to break the, the sad news to them. But um, one of the most interesting things for me that like this summer, um, I'm someone who I, I'm sure people know works with in women's football and I watch the WSL, uh, the, the championship, and obviously I, I work within the, the Northern Premier. Um, the WSL's gone absolutely mental. Um, they've literally brought any decent player that's ever played in women's football all to the Premier League at the same time, the Super League, sorry, at the same time. You've got Lucy Bronze has came back, Alex Morgan, Mewis, uh, the, the list is endless. Greenwoods came back and obviously gone to City, which is controversial being ex-Man United. I don't know how much you guys watch the WSL, um, but I'll come to you with it, Ian. What, what, what do you make of the signings that have come in in the sense that if you do watch it regularly, how excited are you to see them? If you don't, do you think this is going to push women's football further than it probably ever has? I, I, think, I think for me, I'm not... I, I will... I, I would not say I'm hugely, you know, knowledgeable. Um, however, I'm, I'm also not one of those fans who, who, who we do see a lot. Who just dismisses it either. I, I like, I like women's football. You know, um, I think, I think, like you say, for all of the the, the assignments now, for someone like me who doesn't have a huge knowledge of, say, you know, squads and so on. Yeah. But but these are names that I know. And I know that these are, you know, quality, you know, so that. So I think um, I think maybe for reaching out, you'd say, to someone like the, the myself, um, who, who's now actually going to go, oh, I'm, I might actually watch a bit more of this because I know these are decent, yeah. you know, players. Um, and I tell you a funny one about the sort of the COVID, all of the games behind the sort of closed, closed sort of doors and so on. So we are now living in a world where we have to stream our football and we're watching it on, you know, tablets and, you know, so on and all kinds of weird stuff. That um, this is a good this sort of chance, actually, for, for women's football to seem like the men's football because, you know, no one's there. You know, there's no atmosphere. It's just, it's just the football. And yeah. we're just actually going to watch, you know, quality players. Yeah, and that's what that's what kind of happens as well. I mean, it's like obviously at our level, um, as people know, I work for Middlesbrough women, and I would say on average we get for a good day is about six hundred people. On average, three hundred, four hundred. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but it's around that. So when we've not had fans there, I've got to be honest and say that it's been different, and you felt a slight difference, but it's not like you're missing forty thousand people. So for you to watch a game with, with nobody there, it's not as different as maybe as it would be at the stadium night when there's 40,000 people there. It doesn't take too much away. But I mean, what's fantastic, you mentioned about streaming there, the, the FA player, which is an application you can download, um, or sorry, you can watch live WSL games and you can watch championship games on the FA player. Um, I think the big shame probably, and especially something I wish that I could do, but it's, it's literally down to resource, is like Sunderland, Newcastle, Middlesbrough could maybe stream their, their games because I think 
the northeast of all the places that accepted women's football long, long time ago. And, and we've seen so many women that have gone to Sunderland matches since I was at Walker Park. There's never really been too many of those people that disagree with it. And we know they exist, unfortunately, and that that's a ridiculous argument, which I won't even go into. But I think the Northeast has always really embraced women's football. And it's just a shame that our clubs probably don't have the resources to, to be able to do it. Because if you look at the England squad, I mean, I mentioned Lucy Bronze before. She's from Berwick, um, but she came to the Sunderland Academy. Uh, same with Demi Stokes, who's at Man City. Jill Scott, who's obviously really well known and one of the best footballers we've ever produced. There's so much that is coming through, but I think... I'm even noticing on my timeline people are wanting to watch or, or hear about these players that are coming over. And, and, you know, Alex Morgan's huge. Kristen Press is a fantastic player. Uh, Tobin Heath, it's just some of the players that are coming over are like household names in America. They're going to become household names here and they're going to push their game further and further and further. But, Jack, I don't know how often you watch um, women's football. What, what are your thoughts on these huge signings that are coming into the WSL? I think it'll be good. I think in terms of also marketing as well. I hate to kind of put a business head on it, but I think no, anyone you're right. that can, anyone that can right. bring more money, because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You mentioned that the women's game doesn't have anywhere near, anywhere near the level of interest in terms of fans going to the games. I yeah. don't, you'll probably know more than me, Graham, but I'm assuming the sponsors and the commercial side will be nowhere near, probably hundreds of the level of the men's game. So no. anything that can anything that can develop the women's game on and to get more money in in terms of commercial, you know, and, and uh, sponsorship and things like that. But also I think in terms of young girls nowadays, they can look up to these players, do you know what I mean? Like you say, the household names and they can identify them. And, and if it gets more girls playing football now and getting, you know, them, you know, into clubs or, you know, the, the, the women's game, uh, it can only be a good thing. I think you will get the old debate. You will get some people arguing, well, you know, if we're getting all these, you know, foreign players, American players, or wherever they're coming over from. How's it going to harm the English game, the English ladies' game? Do you know what I mean? I must. Have, I, I don't. I know enough about the women's game. I'm not an avid follower, so I'm not going to pretend to know. You know, a great deal about it. But you're going to get that argument on. You know, well, yeah. you know, the, the the foreign players coming over are going to going to harm the development of the English women's game. But I think anything that increases the standard, you probably had that argument. In the Premier League 15, 20 years ago, didn't you, with you know, players coming over and you know, it'll affect the national team. And if anything, I think everyone now accepts foreign players and it's made it a more watchable product in the men's game. It's increased the standard. And I think that will happen in the women's game. I mean, I'm 26. When I was sort of 10, 12, watching it to now, the last 15 years is a round figure. It's come on leaps and bounds since then. The speed, it's a quicker game. It's technically better. So I think it can only be a good thing in, in, in terms of everything, you know. So I, I'm, all, I'm all for it. And I think going back to the northeast. Sunderland has produced quite a few you know Steph Horton Jill Scott the names that you mentioned it's just a shame that what, what happens to Sunderland women as a club really but you look at the majority of them and I think it comes down to the fact that in the North East are so passionate men and women you know what I mean when you think of Sunderland's home match we'll have a lot of women going to the games really probably I, would, I don't know the things but on average I would say Sunderland have more women attending the matches than the average football club and I think it's just yeah, think women so. embrace it as, as it's, it's part of the culture in the North East so I think it's, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, no, actually, it's part of life. And I think um, what's really lovely is there's a, a few girls in Middlesbrough. There's um, Leonie and, and Katie who are like, I think, 19 and 17, respectively. And they, they coach like the under nines and the under 12s. And when you see these kids speaking and stuff like that, I mean, we all remember when we were kids and when I played football, well, like when I was young, I was always Kevin Phillips or Alan Johnson. Now you see these <laughs> young kids, they're not wanting to be... Neymar or Messi or they, they want to be like Jill Scott they want to be Beth Mead they want to be Jordan Nobbs they want to be Lucy Bronze they, they're having like their own idols and that can only be a positive that they have idols that they can actually look at those and go oh, I can make that actually and that, that can only be a positive thing especially in the northeast because if you can look at someone like Lucy Bronze who's now a worldwide name probably the second best player in the world in my opinion um, and say well she's done it when probably had less support than what I've had. I can do that. And hey, if you aim for the stars, I know it's a bit of a cheesy line, but aim for the stars. If you miss, you know, you're not going to fall too far below and it's going to get you there somewhere and that's going to improve the standard naturally. So I'm absolutely with you on that. On to something completely different um, and always full of wonderful, wonderful banter and my favourite thing that ever, ever existed is Scottish football. I embrace Scottish <laughs> football like it should be embraced because it is probably the best, funniest league in the world. Um, 
incredibly competitive this year, but I'll, I'll throw this one at Ian because, you know, the, the regular Scott, although some people think I'm <laughs> Scottish. Um, St Mirren, for people who don't know, had to self-isolate their three goalkeepers. They had to self-isolate Jack Anik because he was a mag, believe it or not. No, that's not true. It's because <laughs> they, they believed that he might have had... He, he was in contact with someone who had COVID or something like that. But because he trained with the goalkeepers, all three of them had to self-isolate, which meant that they went into a league game with no keeper and had to get an emergency goalkeeper. And, well, I'll let you, I'll let you take on the rest of the story, but basically they got a... They played Hibernian at home and the keeper they got was on loan from Hearts. But this has happened a lot in Scottish football. Scottish players seem to love getting COVID. What, what's going on with Scottish football and why is it so absolutely <laughs> mental? Um, I t- you know what? There's, Scottish football is, is unique. And I think um, Scottish <laughs> like, football... I like your twist on it. Are, are, ...are unique. You know? Um, and if if there's a group of you know players who are going to do something you know stupid, that's going to be you know Scottish ones to be fair. So um, Aberdeen, you know, all all those lads went out. It, it just you know you know footballs do that, but you know they got caught and yeah. But it would have to be you know their sort of Aberdeen. Um, you know, uh, going back to Celtic with uh, their bully, bowling goalie. So, you know, who went who went to Spain for four hours, uh, and then played against Kilmarnock, I think it was. Yeah, you know, sort of two days later, um, when when we all knew that if you'd come back from Spain, you had to, you know, self they sort of isolate, you know, for two weeks. Um, but he thought no one would actually notice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the, the what really gets me about that one is that Celtic turned around and said, "Oh, oh we knew nothing about this," and I'm like, mm, "I'm I'm not sure about that one." I think he was. I mean, what's he doing in in you know Spain for four hours unless it's you know maybe speaking to to another club, you know? Did we hear anything about that? Did we hear what, why he actually went away? Because surely, as we've all noticed on the call at the moment, you can chat via you can chat football via Zoom. You can do anything yeah. via Zoom as we're, we're suddenly finding out. So you don't need to like bugger off to uh, to Spain for any reason. But the thing with the thing with Bolongoli is since that's happened, he's been nowhere to be seen since. Like he's he's actually spent more time in Europe than Celtic have this season, probably, truth be told. <laughs> but um, I don't know how much Scottish football you watch, Jack. Obviously, I live in Scotland. Ian, you live in Scotland as well. So we mm-hmm. kind of hugely embrace it and we're surrounded by it. But um, can you ever imagine a situation where the game wouldn't be called off in England if three goalkeepers had to self-isolate? Can you imagine if, say, Lee Burge, Patterson and... Bloody hell, he was a, oh, Remy Matthews, of course. If they had self-isolate and the game didn't get called off, we'd kick off a little bit, wouldn't we? It brings the game and the reputation of the game into disrepute a little bit, does it not? I think Sunderland fans would be happy if you were just had to isolate given the performance yesterday after the first five minutes. would be clapping the hands. You technically did, <laughs> didn't you? But... <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it's, it's a crazy situation, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the Bali situation, I think, is, Celtic have hung about to dry a little bit. I think, cynically, I think it's... Because I, I, I do like Celtic. I must admit, Celtic are kind of my second team. I do have an interest in them. I think it's mainly they've hung about to dry a little bit because his, his talent as a footballer isn't the best. I think if it was Odson yeah. Edward or someone like that for Celtic, <laughs> I, think, I think there would have been a little bit more. Yeah, we'll defend him because he's not a very good player. Hang him out to dry. It's his fault. Um, it's, a, it's, it's just a crazy situation at the minute, isn't it? I mean, I think I think clubs have to be a little bit more heavily, you know, punished. Maybe not punished, but you know, the, the need to take it a bit more seriously when one of their players does, you know, commit. I know it's not a crime, but you know, breach the rules, shall we say? I think the clubs have to take the, the the share of it a little bit more. You know, they have to take responsibility a little bit more. Whether or not they need to be fined more, I don't know how it would how they would play it out. But I think the clubs take it share responsibility but I think the government as well maybe do, do we need a specific task force from the government just specifically for sport during COVID do you know what I mean because obviously you know 
the, the situation is, isn't going to be changing for a few months anyway. And sports going on, do we need a specific government minister or someone outline, you know, what the procedure is for sport during this time? I don't know, you know, resources are stretched all over, but maybe something like that as well. I, I don't know, but it's, it's a crazy situation at the minute playing sport during the, the current pandemic. For me, if, if the government did bring in like a, a specific person for sport, I would probably do the opposite of what he says. Because I just don't trust this government at all. Yeah, to be fair, it's probably a good point. Yeah, they haven't got most things right in the minute of it. What was it again? Go out, don't go out, see your friends, don't see your friends. It was yeah. something along that stay line. Stay in, eat out. Yeah, stay in, but eat out. But yeah, yeah, it was a bit wishy-washy, Boris, if you're watching, which I'm sure he's not. Um, <laughs> Big Southern <what>? fan. <laughs> I hope not. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, he's been to the stadium light, hasn't he? But yeah, there we go. Um Probably one of the, the last things we want to speak about is there was a situation which I'll be honest, which it was brought up by by um, by Connor, who's someone who should be uh, appearing on the show soon. He mentioned about VAR and he wanted a discussion about that. VAR was probably it was the VAR season last season, wasn't it? That's what everyone concentrated on because it was, for want of a better word, absolutely or words, absolutely shite. Like I couldn't stand it. <laughs> And a lot of people said it's not the VAR, it's the way the game is and stuff like that. No, I think the, the waiting for it is what killed me. Like, League One, I embraced the fact didn't have VAR. Like, I work in a league that doesn't use VAR and I'm overjoyed that it doesn't. But there was a, a situation with, was it Kyle um, Kyle Walker-Peters or Peter Walker, where he got a red card but it got downgraded to a, a yellow. Does that kind of indicate then that if it's been downgraded that VAR isn't working, it is working. I mean, I don't know about you, Ian, but are you for VAR or should we just chuck it really far into the sea so we never, ever see it again? <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you actually brought it up there this afternoon, it made me think about this season, you know, you know, because you were absolutely, absolutely right. Last, um, you know, season, we were a lot more, more sort of conscious of it. You know, it was a big thing. You know, everyone was sort of talking about it. You know, football's come back. It feels very strange anyway. Um, you know, did, you know the games just don't, you know, seem seem sort of right. You know, there's no fans there, etc. Yeah. So, you know, and when we did see after the the, the restart and there was, you know, the you know the drinks the breaks, you know, because they were playing into you know summer so I've almost kind of gotten used to the game being sort of different and far I haven't really noticed it so far so um that is you true. know whether that's just a change but you know you know we're only a few a few games in so the worst thing for me was talking about like fanning uh, on not being able to celebrate things or not noticing things we were watching the stream of the, the Sunderland Bristol Rovers game and we sat there and um Ashley has notifications on her phone, like better notifications and all sorts, and she turned them all off because the stream's always about 30 seconds behind. So if her phone goes off, we're like, oh, shit, like we've missed something. So she turned them all off, and then she went to check her bets, and she went to check a completely separate bet and noticed that the Sunderland one had gone green and she had Maguire any time, and she went, oh, shit. And she like locked up <laughs> and the ball like Dr. McGuire. And I was like, oh yeah, McGuire's gone. And that's the only thing that's really killed it so far. I suppose VAR, although that was not used in it, I suppose I haven't noticed it too much. But I mean, Jack, would would you throw it into the sea or are you kind of getting used to it? Um, I'm a, to be fair, I like VAR. I think the idea Ooh, that's that it I know, no, I, I like. It. I think the way that it's being used, I think does it does need more clarity, and I think I think the referees and everyone do need a little bit more training with it. But I always counterbalance it. Would I rather wait a couple of minutes to celebrate a goal and have that joy taken away from us, even though, or would I rather come from a game knowing fine well we're being robbed? You know what I mean? And I would come back if it's an away game of travel four or five. I was having to sit back on the coach on the way back, knowing a refereeing decision cost us the result. And I always look at that thinking, I would rather have VAR at our level. And I know what you're saying, I get the points that it's kind of, it does slow the game up. And sometimes some of it is open interpretation, which I do get that. You know, some of the decisions, they're not cut and dry, they're not black and white. You know what I mean? Some of it is open to the referee's interpretation and what one person thinks is not what the other person thinks. But I just think for years and years it was said, oh, we need technology, we need technology. And now when we've introduced it and they are trying to make it work, 
it's getting absolutely slaughtered. And I just think what people have wanted it for years, you know what I mean? So, and I do think it does need work, but I think this is good. I think we will iron out the problems that we've got and I think it will it will get things sorted out. I, just, I think sometimes maybe one of the things we could do is possibly introduce a talent system like in, in the same way that yeah. the tennis and cricket has, you know what I mean? They get a certain amount of challenges a game. Or something I don't know. I mean, then it might be used as a time wasting thing. I don't know. I really don't know how it would work. But I think VR is a good thing. I just think it needs a little bit of polish. And whether or not it needs a few months or a season out while iron out the issues and say, right, for one season, we don't have VR. We work out all the things, you know, how to implement and how to use it and then come back and new and improve and it's better in the future. I don't know. I just think football's so big now. It has so much riding on it in terms of money, in terms of competition. Um, television and everything and for, for the, the wrong decision to cost the team well probably millions you know the difference between getting the Champions League or not the difference between going down or not I think it's too much riding not to use the technology if there's clear and obvious errors in the game I just think it needs a bit of work my, my huge worry with the, the challenge system is Sunderland in League One. Imagine Bristol Rovers on Saturday if they had a challenge system for like absolutely everything. The game would have been still going on at this point, wouldn't it? Jesus Christ. Um, League, League One does not need uh, something else that helps helps teams to waste you know, time now, does it? Oh, that was like we, We've bypassed Sunderland, but I've, and I'm aware that, you know, Bailey Wright should have been sent off and I'm aware that Dobson got sent off and I'm aware that we're, we're not innocent at all but I've, this time-wasting business with Bristol Rovers it was just like it got to the point where the laptop was just going out the window but anyway anyway that's a, that's <laughs> the point um, predictions time um, I predicted mine via the page a couple, well a Twitter page a couple of days ago so I'll go sort of with you firstly and then obviously you afterwards Jack but um Premier League, who's it's going to be wrong predictions. We're not going to get them wrong. There's going to be egg on our faces. But yeah. who do you think is going to win the Premier League? Um, I think you know, you know what Liverpool still seem really, really strong. However, I think it's really difficult to sort of defend your their sort of title. They've been you know, so jealous for three, se- two seasons. Like, can they do it for three seasons? Is my thought. Yeah, like, yeah, you think, yeah, you so just, good. yeah, you just think they're gonna, gonna have to kind of burn out, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Chelsea have spent a lot of money, and they look like they've signed, you know, real sort of quality as well. Um, they have. But Lampard quite there yet? Mm. So, I don't know. City, I think. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What about top scorer? Who are you thinking for top scorer? Ooh, uh, oh, um, that lad at um, the uh, the Newcastle. What's his name? Wilson. Ah, oh, no, I don't know. Bleep. <laughs> um. <laughs> Put him off the street. Get me. <laughs> what about you, Jack? What are you taking for Premier League and, and for top scorer? Well, Premier League, I've, I've hummed and hard. I think it's going to be City or Liverpool. I think, you know, it's, it's toss a coin between them. Now, a couple Pretty of days much. ago, I thought City. A couple of days ago, I thought City and then I thought Liverpool. I really, I think it's going to be really close. Cause I think, like you said, Liverpool have been at it. I think they've only dropped something like 20 points the last two seasons. I think they're not going to be at that level again. I think if you give City five or 10 points and you take five or 10 off Liverpool, we're going to have a real title race this season. Um, I think if Liverpool get Thiago, I think if there's talking, I think he could be a real game changer. I, I, find, I think Liverpool just, I would make Liverpool slight, or only very slight, slight favourites. I would say Liverpool just, but it could, could easily be City. I've said, um, I said Man City, but basically because of the reasons I, I mentioned to Ian, I just don't think, I mean, I'm saying I don't think, I wouldn't be surprised, but like Liverpool have been so good and not just good. They've just been so good for the last two seasons that I'm just like, yeah. can you seriously be still that good? And I thought on Saturday with the Leeds game, I thought, ah, there we go. There's the, there's the start of the <laughs> only 85 points as opposed to like however many they had last season, they close <laughs> to 100. Um, but then they still find a way to win. So it, it's one of the two. I don't think anyone's going to touch them outside of that. For for top goal scorer, I'm going to say Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang looked sharp on Saturday. I think Aubameyang will probably come into his own um, throughout the whole season. He's... He's played well for the past six months. Well, past year because of COVID, obviously, past six months of football. And I think he just looks like he's going to score every time he's in front of the, in front of the net, pretty much. Um, 
the championship, I took Brentford and they went and got beat on Saturday, which is just my luck and just tells you everything about, you know, what I think. But what what's your thoughts on championship, Ian? Do you think Brentford can kind of push out with that or do you think it's going to be someone else? I think, um, yeah, um, Brentford, if they don't lose too many other players... Um, yeah, because Watkins has gone already, hasn't he? I suppose. Yeah. But they've signed Ivan Tony, who I think is a pretty decent replacement. I think. I think. Yeah. You know. You know. Tony's Tony's young enough, and he's on. He's on that rise, and that's a great sort of team just to slot in. You know, and he's going to get lots of, uh, you know, chances there. Um, I would say, you know, you know, Norwich they look really strong, and I think, I think from a finance sort of sort of point. Point that they're not going to lose a lot of players. No, so they are a, a really good, you know, strong sort of side there. However, maybe even oh, I'd I'd quite like to. There, the championship is so difficult, and you know, teams can really sort of come out of nowhere. But yeah, yeah, sort of Norwich for me, I think. Yeah. Norwich, what are you yeah. saying, Jack? I was just going to say Norwich again. I think they've not they've not lost a great deal. The squads. Squad's either going to be a really, really good championship squad or a squad that's not quite capable of the Premier League. I think that's kind of, and I don't think they've lost a lot. I really rate Fark as a manager. I think he's a good manager. I think he plays attractive football. Um, I think looking, you the relegated sides are always going to be there, usually going to be there or thereabouts, unless there's you know turmoil. And I think Bournemouth, there's a lot of goals in their team, but I'm not sure they've appointed Powell's assistant. I'm not sure. Be interesting to see how he gets on. Brentford have been close nearby, haven't they? They've, uh, well, I haven't even spoken about Watford. Could Watford be up yeah. there? They went down, you know. I think if I had to pick for a name, I, I fancy Norwich. I think I think Norwich will win the championship, but it's wide open. You, you make a case for anyone. Yeah, it, literally anyone could win the, the championship. It's the most mental league and probably the best based on that of uh, any league in the world, really, because anyone can win it. I think last year was probably boring. It was quite boringly predictable, actually, because most people would have said Leeds and the West Broms and and maybe the Fulham's and, and Fulham, yeah. Yeah, it's like, but I think this year, I think you're right. I think anyone could come up. And I hope it's Brentford. I think um, it's maybe cheesy to say, but I think you look at Brentford and they seem to do things in the right way. They've got a nice new stadium, which obviously can't have fans in. It looks horrible, by the way. Sorry, Brentford fans, if you listen to Yeah, we'd, 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 a false sense of optimism is coming in here, so I'm pleased that I've asked this question about predictions after Sunderland have played on <laughs> on Saturday. But um, Ian, League One, or Sunderland going to finish anywhere near the top? And, and if not, who will? You know what? I, like, you know, this is our third season now, and I can still say I have absolutely no idea what is the good, you know, team in that league. You know, it's all about. Yeah, it's all about, you know, form, their sort of momentum. And I, I don't really think, you know, like when I look at our squad, I think, yeah, we should smash this. But but we've not. No. You know? <laughs> but but then, then I look at other teams and I'm like, well, there's not that many players really stand out. There's not that many teams where you think, yeah, they're, you know, they're, you know, their sort of deficits, um, uh, you know, it's well, it's probably out of about you know ten ten sides really. Yeah. So, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no Sunderland because you know, have to do some point. Come on. Uh, I'll t- I said Oxford before the game on Saturday, and Oxford were another team that got beaten. Plenty of people thought Peterborough. They're another team that got beat. So. I'm going to say Sunderland with George Dobson top goal scorer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just to be completely ludicrous and outside the box because I don't think either of them are going to happen. I actually predicted Sunderland to finish eighth um, and I'm going to stand by that. Saturday didn't change my mind on that. But um, do you think Sunderland can get out of League One this season, Jack, or do you think it's going to be someone else? Uh, uh, I don't think we're going to win the league. Sorry to tell you, lads. I, I don't fancy Sunderland. I think, I think there will be a few above us. I think... Our level at the minute is probably playoffs. I think we're maybe third or fourth or fifth, maybe with a bit of a run. The, the thing is, if we did go on a run, you know, we, we could maybe win it or come second. That's there's no outstanding candidate, but I don't think we're going to win. And I think our our levels of playoffs. If I had to pick a winner, I, I, 
I would name that, yeah, I don't think any, anyone's mentioned yet. I think Portsmouth potentially, yeah. you know, not being far away. Um, I know the fans weren't happy with Kenny Jack. Just I think they drew 0 at home. I might be wrong with that. They did. Yeah, Nil-Nil Nil-Nil yeah. Um, I know a few of the fans are giving Kenny Jack a little bit of stick on Twitter, but I think they're a big enough club. They haven't been, been there or thereabouts. I think wouldn't surprise me if they did it, but you could make the names you've mentioned, you know, Oxford, Peterborough. Peterborough score a hell of a lot of goals. I know they lost the striker. Um, the sold the striker didn't was it um, Ivan Tony yeah Tony Tony Ivan Tony that's it yeah. I know they lost him but I, they play a lot of good football attacking football so they're going to score a lot of goals they concede a lot as well but Peter, you make an argument for Peterborough you know Oxford mentioned uh, Hull Hull came down you know I know they've got a little bit of trouble behind the scenes but I think they'll be up there there's a few names I, I went for Portsmouth that's who I put my money on but it's, it's so wide open you can make an argument same as the championship to an extent you can make an argument yeah. for a lot there's like a there's like a split, isn't there? I feel in League One, there's like 10, 10 to twelve teams that could win the league or get promoted. Then there's ten to twelve teams that'll either not get relegated or will get relegated. There's like literally a split. There's like twelve really really shit teams, and you've got twelve not as shit teams that might actually be slightly better than shit sometimes. That's pretty much how League One looks at it. And I'll be honest, the novelty wore off a long time ago. Probably after Accrington in the rain. I think that's when it wore off in the first season. So. Um, Last but not least, since we're all well-rehearsed in Scottish football, um, <laughs> let's all show our absolute bias and who we think is going to win the league. Um, obviously, I'm going to say Rangers, obviously. Um, Ian, you're probably in the middle. You can probably have a, a more educated guess than me and Jacket who will think will win the Scottish league because there's too much um, bias there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not biased. I mean, actually, I'd... I'd I have sort of mentioned this. I don't really, I don't really, I don't, I love, I love playing Scottish football, but um, don't really have an actual sort of team. Um, you know, our, our both have a soft spot for anyway. But, um, I think, again, this is really difficult. And I think with the transfer window still being open and for a, a good few weeks yet, um, at the moment, I think Selig still have that edge, and I would put them down for it. Um, if they lose Edward, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, however, I think they will always score plenty of goals, and they usually find decent um, uh, their sort of replacements. Rangers have started really well. Yeah. You know, but but, but they do start well, and then they fade. Um, and again, I think you know, you know, their squad could certainly change a lot as well. You know, um, their sort of Morelos is always is always linked. Yeah, you know, Ken, situation. Ken's been, yeah, Ken's linked to go on, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so no, I think yeah, yeah. Celtic still have that edge. Yeah, it's funny football these days, isn't it? It's like Ryan Ken came out and said he wants to stay at Rangers at least um, for the for the now. But sometimes that's like. In football, that means I want to go, doesn't it? That's almost like the the signal yeah. of intent. I, I think he's quite happy at Rangers, Ryan Kent, and I don't think he will go, but I don't think he's... Uh, I, I think people are going to be in from at some point in the form that he's in at the minute. I mean, he was, his goal on Saturday was great again. If anyone hasn't seen it, he turned to defender about a million Wales inside out. Um, so he's going to be getting watched. And, and unfortunately for the likes of Rangers and Celtic, the likes of Edouard and Kent and... As we've seen in the past, Dembele can be kind of plucked by teams in, in even French leagues, the, you know, the, the, the Premier League and stuff like that. Um, I will come to you, Jack, but I know where you're going to go with it, but I might as well ask you anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, as you've already indicated, I, as you have Rangers leanings, I have Celtic leanings. And I think the gap, well, while, while the gap is narrowing, I will hold my hands up and say that, you know, you, you consider Rangers a few years back when they first came up. To the, to the Premier League the gap is massive you know 25-30 points I think the gap is definitely narrowing it's getting more and more competitive every year and they are getting closer but I still think Celtic have the edge in terms of even if we were going into the running I think Celtic have closed out the SPL so many times yeah. if, they, if they were neck and neck in the running I think Rangers might feel the pressure a little bit too much the gap's narrowing I think Edward's probably the best player in the SPL as, as Ian said if, if Celtic do sell him if Celtic do sell him, he could be, you know, a big, big loss. But I think Duffy was a key signing for Celtic. Have signed Shane Duffy on loan. I think I was surprised more more teams weren't interested in him. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very happy as a as a as a Celtic kind of fan in inverted commas that they managed to get him. I think he'd be a big signing for them. He's a real good player. 
particularly at Scottish level. I think Celtic will win it, but I think you, you might get maybe only five, six, seven points, something like that. I think that, I think it will be close, but I would go for Celtic. It's a, it was an interesting game. The Celtic game on uh, on Saturday. Obviously, you watched the, and you can only watch so much in highlights. But obviously, sports scene had a decent amount of highlights. But they won five nil. Um, and it's more, it showed you how more clinical they are. I think Ross County hit the post about three or four times, but every time Celtic got in front of the goal, they just they buried it. And it was like, yeah. I think the manager came out, David De Gea, which is the manager of, of Ross County, <laughs> as many people have noticed. Um, I don't know how he's managed to be in two places at the same time, but there you go. Um, I think he came out and he said, look, Celtic haven't battered us. You know, we've hit the post and we watched it and we thought, you know, Ross County's given a real good game here, but the scoreline was 5-0. And I think, that says an awful lot about the way Celtic have gone about their business for the last nine seasons. So taking my bias out of it, you know, I've got to be honest, I think Celtic are probably the stronger of the two. But then again, you never know with, with Super John McLaughlin in goal, who's obviously worth mm-hmm. five million one seasons and nothing the next. You never know. But um, it's been a nice new format to have, lads. And thanks very much for coming on. Um, yeah. I'm sure it'll not be the last time either. But um, thanks for your predictions, which will come back to, to bite you on the arse. But um, enjoy your night, lads. Thanks very much. <laughs> no, thanks. No worries, thanks very much. Cheers, Graham. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Um,